Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It will be a couple minutes before we come there, but that is where we want to land. Last week we looked at a point in time of the life of David and how he progressed from despair to praise through prayer. That's a bit of the context for the message this morning. We looked at a point in time for David, how he progressed from despair to praise through prayer. And that sets a very good roadmap for our situation. When we find ourselves in a time of despair, in a time of suffering, in a time of sorrow, especially as David was, when you're crying out to God with some unfulfilled longing or lifting some painful experience to God, when you cry out, God, how long must this endure? There is a process to get from that position to praising God. Prayerfully, you are praising God in the midst of it. But we saw from the life of David that he went from incredible despair where he cried out four times, God, how long? How long will you forget me forever? Lord, how long will you turn your face from me? He cries these intense, agonizing cries. And then he works through, he he prays, particularly he asks God to enlighten his eyes. And we see his attitude turn to one of praise. And as I was sharing that message last Sunday, I had a couple of recurring thoughts. Sharing a message three times in one day, we'll probably do that. The first thought that I had was I'm probably focusing too much on the despair and not enough on the praise. I tend to do that. The despair of David is so relatable that it's easy to get caught there. The other thought that ran through my mind, and I even quoted it a couple times, was a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 18, it says, While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is a great verse that sums up the idea of having eyes that are enlightened, eyes to see things as they truly are. That is to look with our spiritual eyes upon things that truly matter, upon things that will last. So this message is a result of those two recurring thoughts from last week. I felt at the time like I was focused too much on David's despair and like I didn't examine closely enough what a proper perspective is. So to get that full balanced view and prayerfully a more positive and encouraging one, I turn to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not look on things which are seen, but on things which are unseen. And guess what? The perspective in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Psalm 13 is not much different. It really is similar. And the progression is similar. Starts off by identifying the intense struggles that we face. And it ends rejoicing in who God is and what he is doing. The same as Psalm 13. Now 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. It is written after the cross. It is written to the church. And it is instructive. Psalm 13 is before Christ, before the cross, and is an expression of an experience, either in song or in poem. So it is more illustrative than it is instructive. So if we're going to be directed in how to face struggles today, and we don't want to get caught up just sympathizing with the struggles of David, then we should follow the instruction from Paul. So having said that, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
And we are going to kind of break into the middle, otherwise the passage would be too long, but we're going to read from verse 7 through to the end of verse 18. Let's go to the Lord before we look into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to hold the inspired word of God, that this is not man's thoughts, but this is your thoughts toward man. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you moved in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, godly men to write what you directed them. Thank you that it is your revelation. And Lord, this morning we submit to your word, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us. You would give us eyes to see the truth and and to convict us and to challenge us and to encourage us in that and give us a will that is pliable in your hands that we would submit to you and to all that you call us to do, to the attitudes that you call us to have and the actions that you cause us or that you call us to do. Lord, may in this time, in the reading and the meditation upon your word, Lord, may you be glorified and honored. For we pray this in Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest or may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. As I was reading that rhetorical question, but were you encouraged or were you discouraged? Were you encouraged at the beginning of it or discouraged at the beginning of it and encouraged at the end of it? Are you thinking about verse 18? So as I'm reading, we are hard-pressed. Are you thinking, but we don't look on things which are seen, but on things which are not seen? We are perplexed, but we don't look on things that are seen, but on things that are not seen. We are persecuted, but we are struck down, but we are carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord, but we do not look on things which are seen, but on things which are not seen. Is it difficult for us to keep that perspective, to continue to look on things that are not seen while we live in a world that is physical, of things that are seen? As we go through trials and suffering and sorrow, what is our perspective? I want to help you and myself with perspective this morning. Last week, we looked at walking through struggles biblically by observing the example of David. Today, I want to see that we can rejoice through struggles biblically as we heed the directions of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. 
So I'm not going to focus on verse 8 and 9 about how difficult the Christian walk is. We should all be aware of that. We all know it's not easy, and as long as we are intent on living for Jesus Christ, there will be opposition. This physical life will be full of difficulties. How then can we rejoice in it? How can we not just bear this burden, but actually rejoice in it? How can we rejoice in our suffering or in our struggles? The answer to that question is simple. The process is not. The answer is simple. Though making it a reality is intensely hard. And please don't think that as I show just how simple the answer is that I'm saying accomplishing it is going to be easy. Please also don't think that as I say the answer is simple to this, that I am downplaying your struggles. The answer is simple as to how we can rejoice through our struggles, but applying it in the midst of the pain and tears and frustrations and longings that we all experience, that is a supernatural work. Simple answer, supernatural work. So, if the answer is simple for how we can rejoice in our suffering, what is it? See what suffering produces. If you want to rejoice in your suffering, if you want to be able to rejoice in your suffering, see what suffering produces. Now, I'm not saying what it has produced necessarily in your life that can be good or bad, but see biblically what God has designed suffering to accomplish. See what it produces. I want to draw out three purposes for your suffering this morning from this passage as expressed and experienced by Paul. There is meaning, there is purpose in suffering, especially the suffering, which is what it's speaking of specifically here, of believers. There is purpose in it and through it, and that purpose is glorious. As we look with eyes that are spiritual upon things that cannot be seen in the physical realm, we actually can get a sense of wonder that God has chosen and delights to use suffering to accomplish incredible things. So what is it? What are these purposes? We see here in the beginning of this passage that we can rejoice in struggles because they produce manifestation of the life of Christ. Secondly, we can rejoice in suffering because suffering produces the resurrection of many, it says here. And thirdly, we can rejoice in struggles because they produce eternal rewards. Now, I realize that some of that is strange and it sounds strange and it doesn't make sense initially. Bear with me as we work through each point. The first point is we can rejoice in struggles because they produce the manifestation of the life of Jesus Christ in us. In verse 10 and verse 11, that's where we want to focus, we see this phrase, the manifestation of the life of Christ. He says, we're always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 10 and 11 is speaking to believers and of believers. If you go back to verse 7, it says, we, that is all believers, have this treasure in earthen vessels. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed. We are perplexed. So, So when verse 10 says, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, Paul is referring to all believers. If he is referring just to himself and the disciples as personal experience there, we know that all those who walk in Christ walk the same walk in a sense That is, what is true to Paul because he was a believer is true to you if you also are a child of God by grace through faith. So we can take that and we can say he's speaking about us, we. 
all those who are in Jesus Christ are always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We are always carrying about in our body the dying of Christ. That means we are always to be ready to die for the sake of truth, for the sake of Jesus Christ. I say be ready there because it does not exclude those who may not actually be called to die for the gospel. It doesn't exclude them. But the persecution and rejection and hatred that Jesus endured, his suffering, which ultimately led to his death, we share with him. We carry the same truth for which Jesus Christ died. And I pray that we are willing to die for it alongside him. Like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. That's on the persecuted. That's on the you know, struck down. That's on the negative side, right? That's on the how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever from Psalm chapter 13. But it indicates here that suffering is not supposed to be something that's strange or a surprise to believers, which we know from the word of God. We carry the death of Jesus Christ in these bodies as if it was our own. And it may very well be our own. And it says that we always carry this about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's perpetual. From the moment you trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, you will carry the truth for which Christ died. And so you will carry the hatred of the world and the opposition of Satan until Christ comes to take you home. You always bear it. And you bear it in your body. The struggles believers face are not just spiritual or internal. They are often physical. Paul was beaten and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and plagued by some disease. And all that suffering was him carrying about in his body the death of Jesus Christ. But the focus of verse 10 and 11 is why he was carrying about in his body the dying of Jesus Christ. What does it produce? He says in verse 10 that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in my body. He says in verse 11, after he speaks about, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus may be manifest. I'll break that down for you, but in our suffering for Christ, the life of Christ is revealed. And it's not his life on earth. This is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. This is the exalted life of Jesus Christ. It is manifested in our body in our suffering. Manifested means literally rendered apparent. That's astounding to me. The glorified, exalted life of Jesus Christ is rendered apparent to others around us through our suffering. Christ is made known. He is revealed. God's glory is shown to others through the suffering, through the struggling of his saints. God's glory is shown through your rejoicing in struggles and through your perseverance in struggles and through your joy in struggles and through your peace in struggles and suffering. Believer's Bible Commentary says this, How can the world see the life of Christ when he is not personally or physically present in the world today? The answer is that we as Christians suffer in the service for the Lord. As we suffer, his life is manifested in our body. His life is made apparent. It is rendered apparent. We are witnesses of, we are demonstration of the life of Jesus Christ and how we as believers suffer. So the next time you cry out, Lord, how long, like David did, perhaps you want to ask yourself, who is going to see Jesus through this painful struggle? Or how is someone going to see Jesus through this 
suffering. Or perhaps even better to simply cry out, God, I don't know if I can take this, but thank you for using me as a vessel to reveal your glory to someone else. Even if the cost is suffering. That God is using you in your suffering as a vessel to make himself known, to manifest the life of Jesus Christ in your body. That thought is expressed in verse 10. It's also expressed in verse 11. For we who live, that is likely referring to the apostles who had not yet been put to death for their faith. He says, we who live are always being delivered to death for Christ's sake. Always delivered to death for Christ's sake. That means they were constantly exposed to death for the sake of Jesus Christ. Their life was always on the line. At the drop of a hat, they could be imprisoned and tortured and even killed. We are constantly exposed to death because of our faith that the life of Christ may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That is the purpose, Paul is saying, that we are so exposed to death. That is the purpose for suffering and for dying. It is so that Jesus Christ will be made known. That's not to cast a negative shadow on God as to why he causes and allows suffering. That should reveal the glory and the wonder of God. That he has invested this gospel, this treasure in earthen vessels so that the glory may be of him and not of us. And it's amazing that right after he says that, this is, the, this is what God has done. He has put the glory of the gospel into weak, frail human vessels so that he receives the glory when people come to him. Right after he says that, he goes on and talks about our suffering. Guess how God has put the glorious message of the gospel and has as, as put it in us and is working it through us and others. He's doing it through our suffering, through our struggles, through our trials, through our difficulties. He is making Jesus Christ known to the world. I can't repeat this enough or emphasize it enough. The primary reason why Paul or I or you can rejoice in suffering is because the, produ- the produce of righteous suffering is the revealing of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ to the world. It is the revealing of it. And don't we want Christ to be made known? And if he's chosen to use suffering, are we willing to suffer so that he may be made known to the world around us? The second reason why we can rejoice in struggles is because they produce, this is a strange term, the resurrection of many. Skip with me down to verse 14. In verse 14 it says, Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Now in verse 12 and 13, just in case you're wondering about that, Paul is saying his dying was producing life in the church in Corinth. And because he believed that to be so, he would keep speaking and preaching the truth. And we ought to do the same. But then in verse 14, we have hope through suffering and even death because we will be resurrected with Christ. We know that, and that is contained within here. That's a good reason to rejoice in all things, including suffering. But Paul goes on. Not only will Paul be resurrected and united with Christ, but in context of suffering here, he says he will be reunited with all those for whom Paul preached, or all those to whom Paul preached and those he suffered for. There is coming a day when he will be reunited with them in the resurrection. Paul says, death is working in me, causing life in you. So we will, in verse 12, that's in verse 12, we will be together in the resurrection. All things, he says in verse 15, are for your sake, even my suffering, because it produces, it is working in the manifestation of the life of Jesus Christ. It is drawing you towards salvation, and all those who are saved will be resurrected, and we will be united in heaven in the resurrection. So, Struggles produce, prayerfully, 
the resurrection of many. That puts a bit of a different perspective on our suffering, doesn't it? I wonder who we will see in heaven that is there because of our suffering rather than because of our having it all, our prosperity. In some ways, it's very, very simple, and we know this to be true, right? When does God do the greatest work in your life? (laughs) When all is well or when all is horrible? Externally, physically. Yes, you know, we're not looking on those things. We're looking on spiritual things. But God does the greatest work, and it's, it's the way he has designed us. Now, maybe it's because, in part because of the curse of sin and from the effect of sin, we're broken, and so God does a work in, in healing us, and that's through difficulties, that's through struggles, into making us what he wants us to be. But in the process of that, he does a powerful work. He transforms us, and he begins, he continues that work of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And in that, we become a witness to the greatness, the goodness of God, don't we? I pray that we do, that we reflect Jesus Christ, that we manifest Jesus Christ. And it's an, I don't know if it's an unfortunate reality, but it's just a reality that we manifest the life of Jesus Christ in sufferings way more than we do in good times. Too often that is the case, for myself anyways. We make Christ known. One of the products of suffering is the manifestation of Christ. And one is the resurrection of many because of the salvation of many who have seen the manifestation of Christ in us. In this process of suffering, we also see a bit of a subnote there. This suffering that results in the resurrection of many, we also see that grace is spread to many and thanksgiving to God abounds. Those are in verse 15. They're also the produce of the believer's struggle. That is how salvation and consequently the resurrection takes place, right? Through Paul's suffering, grace came to many and many offered abounding thanksgivings to God. Subpoints of our struggles producing the resurrection of others, but worthy of noting. Mercy is spread to many. Thanksgiving is expressed to God from many. Our struggles and our suffering have purpose. They have a point. They have reason. And because of that purpose, and because generally the produce of suffering is so infinitely great, we are able to rejoice in our suffering. We are able to rejoice in our struggles. The third reason, or the third purpose, or produce, I should say, from struggles, is eternal rewards. Now, we know that the manifesting of Christ in our mortal bodies and the salvation and resurrection of the lost are such magnificent rewards in themselves that we do not need anything else to cause us to rejoice in our struggles. Just those two things, that Christ is made known and that many will be saved and resurrected. That's all the cause that we need, and yet God gives more cause as well, as he always does. He gives abundantly. Not only can we have joy in suffering as we see it produces the manifestation of Christ and in part produces the resurrection of others, but it also produces actual eternal glory. Verse 17 says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our affliction is working for us. If you didn't believe that in regards to the manifestation of Jesus Christ or the resurrection of others, it says it right here. It is working for us. It is producing something. It is investing in something. It is accomplishing for us. And it has eternal rewards. It is a sacrifice that we have the strength through Jesus Christ to bear that invests in this reward that is to come, this eternal reward. It is working for us. 
for us. And this glory that is to come is a heavenly glory. It is all the splendor and beauty of being with Jesus Christ. This is the reward for those who suffer for his name. This is what it is producing, eternal rewards. All the splendor and beauty of being with Christ, face to face, experiencing fullness of joy and peace and love forever. It is a glory of what God has prepared and provided eternally for believers. It is the glory of the heavens and the riches of God in Christ Jesus to us. It is the glory of the sufficiency of God towards us. It is the glory of the artistic and creative genius of God, this eternal weight of glory. This is what is laid out for us. This is a produce of suffering. The idea of weight of glory has to do with the immense value of it. It is weighty. The closest thing we can come to that is the expression, it's worth its weight in gold. An eternal weight of glory. We suffer now in anticipation of the glory to come. Our light and momentary affliction is working for us this glory to come. It is producing it. Does that make sense? Suffering is not just here to be born, to to bear up under. It isn't just something that is to be put up with or tolerated. It has purpose for the child of God. It has meaning for the child of God. It is good because God is working a powerful work through it and in it and beyond it. God is taking your suffering and is in it producing the manifestation of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of many, and eternal rewards that are beyond words. So we rejoice. We rejoice in our suffering, not because we enjoy our suffering, but because we know what it produces. And what it produces far outweighs the negative that is the suffering right now. We can rejoice in suffering. We can. Particularly, we can rejoice in it as we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen in the final verse of the chapter. In case you're tired of hearing about that, and maybe you think that there is no way you can rejoice in your struggle, I want to give you one last thought that steps outside of this produce from suffering. Maybe you say, I've suffered and it's never produced this in me. That needs to be brought before the Lord as well because it means that we may be wasting the suffering which God is allowing in our life. If it's not producing the revealing of Christ to others and it's not producing or involved in the production of the salvation and resurrection of others. Now we don't know until we're in eternity whether it's producing or or how much it is producing in regards to this eternal weight of glory. Is our suffering beneficial? I pray that your suffering has got not just purpose, but good purpose, and you are using it to that purpose. Especially that first one. You're making Christ seen. Other people are seeing Jesus Christ in your suffering. But like I said, if you're tired of even hearing about that, you don't think you can ever do it, go back with me to verse 16. Verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. He's right in the middle of this passage about suffering. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart. We don't give up. We we don't 
give in to defeat or discouragement or failure. We don't throw in the towel because the, the days that we face are too hard. We do not do so because verse 16 says, even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Externally, physically, it may not be going well. It probably won't get better. We will age. We will face aches and pains and the deteriorating of our body because we live in bodies that are still under the curse of sin and under the sentence of sin as Paul did. And we will face opposition and persecution and even potentially danger and violence that can affect our bodies as our bodies are deteriorating. It's basically what it's saying. As they're perishing, we are being renewed day by day. The inward man. The external man is falling apart, but the inward man is being renewed. There is a renovation process that is going on in this spirit and in this soul. And it is the master builder who is the one who is doing that renovating process. He's daily daily making me into, prayerfully, a more courageous Christian, a bolder Christian, a Christian who is more in love with him. He's making you prayerfully the inward man into someone who walks more in grace and is quicker to forgive. He's making us into people who are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. That is a renovation that is taking place. Where is our focus? On the external or the internal? The external is going to die. And so if, if we can take that external shell and we can say, in the process of my demise, which ultimately is what suffering really is, it's the process which leads us to the grave. In the process of getting rid of this shell, this tent, can I make much of Jesus Christ, that is manifest Jesus Christ. Because the body's passing away anyways. It is temporary. It is transitory. We're not going to hold on to it forever. The soul, yes. And we are being renewed day by day in it. But in the process of this, of dying, can we use what God has given us to make much of Jesus Christ, to manifest him to the world around us, to be an element, a part in the salvation and ultimately then the resurrection of many around us? And can we not use these physical bodies that God has blessed us with to build up for ourselves, to create for ourselves an exceeding, uh, an eternal weight of glory? And in the meanwhile, as we're using those bodies for that, having our soul renewed, made better, recreated, fashioned according to his will, It reminds me of that children's song. He's changing me. That's not external. Guess what? Your body's dying. But internally, he's changing me, my precious Savior. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. Daily, he's doing this. Day by day, we are renewed. So the child of God, by grace through faith, I would encourage you, Don't just walk through your struggles biblically, though that is certainly a first and a good step, but rejoice through your struggles biblically. 
as you see what God is doing through them and will do through them and delights to do through them. That he shows Jesus to others. That they contribute to the salvation and resurrection of others. And that your suffering is producing an eternal reward. And even when you don't feel it possible to rejoice in them, submit to God, trust him to renovate yourself internally, daily. Whether he changes your external situation, your suffering, or not. He is a good renovator, and he has the perfect perspective on what he is accomplishing in you. His vessel of clay, his jar of clay, his earthen vessel, that the glory may be of him. Even, even that idea of manifesting Christ to the world and being involved in the sanct- or salvation and resurrection of others, it is not to the glory of you or to the glory of your body or to the glory of your suffering. It is that the excellence of the glory may be of him and not of us. We encourage this morning, there is purpose, there is meaning, there is intent, there is a godly plan through suffering. Not just that we as believers say, I can bear it better than the world can, but that we can rejoice in it. We can truly rejoice in it because of what it accomplishes eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are in control, that you are a sovereign Lord of all, that you have intent and purpose, that nothing happens randomly, that we don't live in an abstract universe that just happened and that even the events of our day are not just things, not just happenstance, but that you sovereignly guide and direct. And you take and you use all things to the accomplishing of your purpose. And I don't completely understand why you choose to use suffering to accomplish so much. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we see what the suffering and the agony and the death of Christ accomplished for us, we are in wonder that you would take something so, so horrible, so ugly, so even despised, and you would use that to accomplish eternal, not just good, but great and awesome and mighty and powerful things. That you would use the suffering of Christ to save sinners, the death of Christ to save sinners. And as we see that, we can trust that you can take our suffering and you can accomplish these purposes that we've looked at. So give us strength, give us the ability, give us the enabling by your Holy Spirit to rejoice that all that you do is good and is for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.